The first Thanksgiving proclamation was given by the father of our country, George Washington. And this is the following of what he stated. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the ben beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. And also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. This was issued on October the 3rd, 1789. Of all the psalms in the Word of God, the 103rd psalm is my greatest favorite of thanksgiving, and I'd like to read that with you tonight. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that reverence, love, respect him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, 
so the Lord pities them that reverence him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that reverence him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his messengers that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his good pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Heavenly Father, I thank you this wonderful Thanksgiving Eve for all of our people who are gathered together at all the different core locations. Thank you for each and every individual believer. Thank you for all those who have joined us on the telephone hookup. And for what a wonderful joy it is, Father, to be able to be joined with your people who love you, who endeavor to serve you, and who have committed their hearts and lives to you. And how thankful we are, Father, that you have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of the gospel of redemption and salvation, and that you have given us a life which is more than abundant, and that you've made us more than conquerors. Surely love you, Father, and thank you for allowing us to live and to be a part of this wonderful Thanksgiving Eve service again, and for the great joy with which we rejoice in all of our hearts for health and strength and life and blessing, and above all, Father, for eternal life that we have through you and your wonderful Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, in the name of your wonderful Son. Amen. And now I'd like to do a tape of Lisa Lockridge Tracy singing, I'm Thankful. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Oh, how can I forget all he's done for me? He forgave me all my sins, and he made my Oh, 
Thanksgiving, but very especially this one. Last week when I was preparing my news article for my weekly writing on By the Way in the St. Mary's Evening Leader, I thought it would be wonderful if we published it in the Emporia Gazette as well as in the Gunnison Times. And Frank Heron brought me the copy a little while ago that was published today here in Emporia, Kansas. And Frank Heron is director of admissions here and charge of public relations. And Frank, I'd like for you to read this article to our people tonight. And I think you will get real blessed just remembering the first proclamation that George Washington made. So, Frank Heron, please read the article that was released today. The way I see it, Thanksgiving is thanks living. And I'm deeply thankful for having been born a free citizen in our United States of America. 
Observing our national Thanksgiving Day is a wonderful gesture on the part of our nation. For those of us who know and love God and His Word, every day is a day of thanksgiving. I believe I may have coined the phrase, quote, thanksgiving is thanks living, unquote, meaning living life day by day according to God's Word and living by giving God thanks for life, our nation, and not forgetting all the benefits with which God has blessed us. This year of 1981, and at this Thanksgiving time, I want to share something that has permeated our educational systems, theological and secular, and for the most part, our entire nation. Without common Americans realizing what was to happen, a purposeful, deliberate, and artfully planned procedure occurred in our country back in 1913, when a historian of reputation and influence named Charles A. Beard wrote and published a book entitled An Economic Interpretation of the Constitution of the United States. Beard had been introduced to the Communist Manifesto at DePaul University, and while studying in England, he was profoundly influenced by and promoted the works of Marx and Engels, and he was a militant worker in England's socialist labor movement and helped to found Oxford's radical Ruskin Hall. Beard was an ardent crusader and believer in socialism and openly advocated it for the United States during the 1930s. He endeavored with all his ability in writing and speech to alter the American opinion regarding our founding fathers. He advocated that the American political and economic systems be changed into a socialistic state. Professor Beard spent most of his life distorting and belittling our American heritage, questioning the principles of the framers of our Constitution and thus the validity of the Constitution itself. Historian Charles Beard was a socialist, a humanist, and an atheist. In 1913, at the prime age of 39, he published the book An Economic Interpretation of the Constitution of the United States. Economic determinism is a favorite line of Marxism and the language of socialism and communism. In this book, he denied our nation's spiritual foundation, attacking the credibility of our founding fathers. Beard said that economic determinism was the basic reason for all their actions, causing his hearers and readers to question and doubt our founding fathers' intentions as well as their religious and moral integrity. Because Professor Beard had a so-called impeccable academic standing, his writings were timely and accepted. And that started the trend of destruction. By 1950, 11 of the most widely used textbooks for teaching American history throughout our educational systems, all without exception, flamed Beard's erroneous and destructive history of our founding fathers, the Revolution, and our Constitution. This virus infection spread, and many present-day historians are still infecting and distorting our American history books today. Professor Beard denied our nation's spiritual foundations, claiming that economic determinism was the motivating factor in the lives of the men who led our American revolution and framed our Constitution. Beard claimed that the motive and basic underlying controlling factor of our American revolution was economic determinism, the self-aggrandizement of the leading personalities involved. I believe that the truth is 
that our nation was not founded by unbelievers, but that 50 of the 55 men among our founding fathers were indeed believing and practicing Christians to the best of their knowledge and human frailties, that the framers of our republic intentionally and deliberately founded our nation and government on biblical principles. Then why do scholars, historians, and theologians today endeavor to deny America's Christian heritage? It all dates back and started with the book that Pro Professor Beard wrote in 1913, which became the dominating factor in our educational outreach in our public school and college systems by 1950. Recently, an editor in one of our nation's leading Christian magazines wrote, quote, America is not now and never has been a Christian nation, unquote. A theological professor at one of our prestigious theological seminaries dogmatically stated, quote, our founding fathers were not born-again believers. They were not believers in the Bible as the Word of God. They did not believe that Christ was the Son of God. They were really humanists, unquote. That is a lie. What a lie the people of our country have been asked to believe, and especially our public school children and our college students. Samuel Adams would have been flabbergasted to learn that he was not a Christian. And I'm sure John Adams and George Washington would have been floored to find out that they did not believe the Bible. James Madison would have been dumbfounded to hear that he did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And Reverend Jonathan Witherspoon would have questioned the sanity of the writer. And what about those great historians like George Bancroft, J. Wingate Thornton, Richard Frothingham, and James Knox Fisher, all of whose historical books tell us of the believing of our forefathers and the impact that Christian faith had on the founding of our republic. By the sheer law of logic, reason must concede and conclude that, per that the participants in those times and events were far more accurately informed as to the nature and intent of their actions at the inception of the Declaration of Independence, our revolution, and our Constitution than professor and historian Charles A. Beard. At the Constitutional Convention in 1787, Benjamin Franklin said, quote, God governs in the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that, quote, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, unquote. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel, unquote. James Madison, fourth president of this our nation, stated, quote, We have staked the future of our nation to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God, unquote. John Quincy Adams, sixth president of these our United States, said about the American Revolution, quote, it connected in one indissolvable bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity, unquote. In 1799, the Supreme Court of the United States stated, quote, by our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion, unquote. Daniel Webster wrote, quote, finally, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers brought hither their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light and labored in its hope. 
They sought to incorporate and diffuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, and literary, unquote. The so-called Puritanism of our Pilgrim Fathers and the biblical adherence of the Founding Fathers of our nation is sneered and laughed at today. But I believe it was far better than the present situation ethics philosophy. Just do as you like in any way you like as long as you like it. Yes, I believe from all the facts that our Founding Fathers were deeply concerned about the best possible Christian principles for our nation. Sure, our Founding Fathers had shortcomings and blew it, but not nearly as much as the destructors of our nation would have us to believe. Our Founding Fathers were not as much influenced by economic determinism as was Pro Professor Beard. They were far less concerned that what was theirs was theirs then we believe that what we own is ours today. At least they mutually pledged their lives, fortunes, and honor. Some of the founding fathers in their day may have been shysters and selfish along some lines, like I know some Christians today who are shysters and selfish also. But that does not invalidate the fact that for the most part, our founding fathers believed and acted on the principles of God to the best of their ability as they understood the Word of God. Having just recently returned from Latin America, where most of the people are poverty-stricken and held in the fist of fear by religion and government, I, at this Thanksgiving time, am grateful for the pilgrims who came to this country for freedom of religion, to worship God according to the dictates of their hearts. I am also thankful for our founding fathers, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution of these, our United States of America. In spite of the many shortcomings of our country, I am most grateful and thankful for the privilege of living in this country that continues to have the greatest amount of freedom and autonomy of any country in the world. You and I have to be absolutely stupid and ignorant of the facts if we believe that our country was founded by selfish men who thought only of themselves in the light of economic determinism and self-aggrandizement. Yes, I, along with millions of Americans, have enjoyed the blessings achieved by our Founding Fathers. May a corresponding few of us continue to believe in order that the blessings of liberty achieved may be maintained. May the great principles of religious freedom for which our patriotic forefathers contended and died be preserved by the patriots of our day. May there be an infusion of patriotic blood into the veins of our American people. I'd like to say with Henry Clay, what he said years ago, quote, I'd rather be right than president, unquote, which sort of agrees with Proverbs 29.2, quote, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn, unquote. I thank God for our country and the privilege of living in it. And I'm sure you do the same, right? Right. That's right. Perhaps at the different campus locations and even those of you who are hooked into the party line tonight, you may want to do something that I'm going to be doing here. You may want to do a little later, but I sort of thought it'd be nice tonight to have a roving microphone, which Reverend John Lynn will be carrying around with him, and go around as some of our people and find out what I'm thankful for tonight on this Thanksgiving Eve. 
But of course, before John goes to some of the rest of them, I'd like for Mrs. Weirwill to come up here to the microphone, please, and to share her heart on this Thanksgiving Eve as regarding what I'm thankful for. And... You may be seated. You know, I'm always moved when I read the first few verses of Psalm 103. And there we heard again tonight, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, the next words, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And sometimes I think I've felt that, all that is within me. Basically, I'd like to share about what I'm most thankful for. And basically, it's for life itself, I guess. You know, our daughter Sarah says to me so many times, thank you, Mom, for having me. I think that uh, she being the fifth and last child, she kind of feels like she might have gotten left off. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm real thankful for life itself and how we know the Word of God. We know God through His Word and how He made us so wonderfully and that he gave us an instruction book whereby we could live and have the life that is more than abundant that we've heard so much about. And hopefully some of us have tasted some of that abundant life because we are sons of God, right? And we should always remember that. Nothing ever is beyond what we're able to accomplish to be positive in that situation. And that we're mindful of rising up to that when the situation's presented. And no matter what, we do not need any fear. We have that Word of God. In fact, in I believe that in the epistles that never even once says have no fear because you know it's just our life to believe God and to be thankful to him and to make use of what he's afforded us and so as we're living positively there's no hole in the hedge for Satan to get at us And he will not steal, kill, or destroy us, but that we will have God's abundance. And tomorrow for Thanksgiving Day, um, as we heard of George Washington making that proclamation already in 1789, it certainly is something to think about that 
all these years we've celebrated and set aside a special day for everyone, not just sons of God, but everyone to think about what they're thankful for. And certainly God has blessed them by just believing that they are to be thankful. And uh, we just believe that all of God's family is just celebrating with us as the word goes around the world. I think about all those, all of our WWs and all of our leadership in every country that they must be with us in that spirit of thankfulness right now. And uh, I think it's a great thought, that family of God again, how wonderful God has provided for us in every way, physically, mentally, spiritually. God bless. Thank you, Mrs. Rubin. Her speaking triggered something in my mind that I shared with Craig Martindale backstage at the 40th anniversary weekend in Dallas last weekend. When they were receiving the abundant sharing, I said to Craig, do you know why we use the horn of plenty in our abundant sharing? And he said, no. And I thought, well, I'd should have said it a long time ago. I did say it, but maybe he just didn't hear it. But the real truth is the reason we use the horn of plenty is because in the church they have these offering dishes or trays, whatever you call, call them, and a lot of them are one time were made out of heavy stuff like, I don't know, silver or something, then different woods. And at the time when the way ministry, when we were moving out from the church and stuff, uh, they cost you about $30, $40 a piece, and we didn't have that much money, and we could buy a horn of plenty for 50 cents. So we started using the horn of plenty. And as I look back over that, that must have been something, because those little offering things they have in the church, they don't hold nothing anyway, see. Uh, they... You can, <laughs> they don't even get the tithe in there. If there was a budded sherry, it'd be a lot deeper than that. And that's where the horn of plenty's got plenty to hold it. And another thing, it's always associated with Thanksgiving, the cornucopia, the horn of plenty, laid out with the fruits and the blessings, and it's always overflowing. And I think it must have been sort of providential that the way ministry uses horns of plenty for their abundant sharing. And real great. Well, here's Reverend John Lynn with his roving microphone. John, you share your heart with him a little. Thank you. Well, Mrs. Rural, at the conclusion of her presentation, touched upon that for which I believe. I'm thankful at this moment very vividly, and in Dallas this past weekend, all of us from the Way College went down to Dallas for the first 40th anniversary weekend, and it was there once again that the greatness of the family of God was vividly impressed upon my heart 
as I saw so many different kinds of people from obviously so many backgrounds, so many uh, aspects of life, and I thought about how each one, those who were believers there, that each one's been called by God to be his son, to believe his word, that each one has dreams and goals and purposes and desires and aspirations. And I got very thankful for the family of God. It reminded me, of course, of the Apostle Paul in his greeting by revelation at the beginning of nearly every one of the church epistles. I give thanks unto God for you all. And that deeply touched my heart this weekend. The privilege that we have to be a part of this family and more specifically the household of committed believers and that we can reach out to one another with the love of God and touch one another's lives and minister to one another and knit our hearts together and really see what the mystery is all about. But it is the Word of God that is the basis for fellowship. There will not be fellowship without a standard. And so, of course, tonight I'm also grateful for the integrity and the accuracy of God's Word, which is the foundation for fellowship, because it is the door to God's heart, and it is that door through which each of us can walk into God's personal curriculum of learning for our lives and thereby we can each knit our heart together with God's and with one another, and we can move the world over the world standing shoulder to shoulder together. So that's what I'm thankful for tonight. Thank you, John. Wonderful. I carry a tape aboard the custom coach. I have quite a few tapes, but I carry unique tapes only, things that bless me and that I can use to bless people with. And one of those tapes that I carry was a sharing or a heart touch, heart sharing that was done here on this campus. And that's from Matthew's chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And it was Reverend Ross Tracy who did that sharing. And I've played it hundreds of times since he's taught it because I think it's one of the great testimonies and sharings on how God can take the life of a minister and work the word of God in his life so he's able to change and move with the greatness of that word of God and how truly grateful and thankful he is. And I'd like for Ross Tracy, Reverend Ross Tracy, to share his thankfulness and heart tonight. Ross, God bless. Thank you very much. Be seated, please. Certainly, as I think back on a Thanksgiving night, realizing what God has done and how he has blessed so abundantly in my life, each year as the day Thanksgiving comes around, I find myself asking again, well, what are you really thankful for? And each year it seems to be more abundant that there are more things that I truly am grateful for, for what God has done. As I think of how God in the past 10 years has moved so beautifully, so greatly in my life, how he has answered every promise that he has ever given. And that very verse that doctor spoke of a moment ago, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He has met that condition 
fully and abundantly. I have a family for which I'm thankful. I have so many provisions of life that are ample and abundant. But you know, it's more than that tonight that I'm thinking about when I think of what am I thankful for. It's this ministry that is truly that which enables me tonight to resound with joy and gladness on the inside. That I'm not bound tonight by the traditions of men. That I'm not in some theological network where I'm told what I must do or the confines in which I must stay. I'm thankful that I'm not bound by the traditions of men, but rather that I'm bound to be committed to him tonight. I'm thankful as I think back to a professor in seminary who told me in, the, in my training for the Christian ministry, he said, men, men, we don't care what you believe when you leave this class. We only want you to be able to say why you believe what you do. I'm thankful tonight that I'm not a part of a ministry that tells me it doesn't care what I believe. <laughs> But I'm thankful that I'm a part of a ministry tonight where the truth and the accuracy of God's word is primary and uppermost in my life and in my heart. And that's what I'm to live for. That's what I'm to be. And that's what our lives are to be. You know, on this Thanksgiving Eve, I think of the words of the 34th Psalm writer. And I would want that to be the description of my life, not on just Thanksgiving Eve, but really every day of the year. And the 34th Psalm writer penned the words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. God bless you. Thank you, Ron.